The following podcast uses words that lawyers don't use in court, even though they're thinking them. Hello, and welcome to episode 310 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we talked about a lot of good things. We did tackle three personal statements in the same way that we did before where we read them until we couldn't read them anymore. We didn't make we it through any of the them. We, we started three personal statements. Uh, we kind of skimmed um, most of them, yeah. I would say that we went through them further than we probably would have. We went through them life. further than we probably should have in retrospect. Yeah. But we like to give people yeah. value for their money here at Thinking It's like that. we're searching for something of merit, right? <laughs> but it's like, no. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, that was that. We also went through a horrible turd of advice that was posted on uh, some website. And we talked about that. And we did a logical reasoning question. Yeah, specifically a sufficient assumption question, which uh, you need to learn how to do sufficient assumption questions because you should never, ever miss a sufficient assumption question. It's free points. It's easy money. Um, Yep. You got to learn how to get them right. So hopefully that'll be helpful. By the way, uh, this will air on Monday, August 9th. Um, The August LSAT is just around the corner. End of this week. Good luck. Yep. Uh, if you're considering the October LSAT, which many of you should be, if you're taking August, your registration deadline is very soon. It's August 25th. That's a Wednesday. Sadly, that is before the scores will be released for the mid-August LSAT. Why the Law School Admission Council needs you to register for the October LSAT in August, we don't know. But uh, I don't understand that in the slightest, right? That that mystery was there before, but it was an in-person test and they had to schedule all these facilities. Now it's online. So the mystery just continues. It'd be be like the wrong answer in a paradox question. Why do you do this? Because it's always been like that. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's online. Oh, okay. Well, we need even more time to figure out why it doesn't make sense. But yeah, it is what it is. So if you have any doubts, if you think that there might be a chance that you need to take the October yeah. LSAT, then sign up. Um, by the way, Nathan hosts a LSAT study group yeah. for the August LSAT, which will then become the October LSAT. But yep. and he hosts a study. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, this one particularly, the one that's right before the official test is kind of a, a little bit of a different one because what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, invite the class to ask me whether they should take the August LSAT. It was kind of funny last time we did it. It was, I, I like actually made them say, should I take the LSAT? And then I, I get, the, I, <laughs> I have them give me like a little bit of background. Basically, what are your practice test scores? Do you have any official scores on record? Are you trying to apply this cycle? You know, all those kinds of questions. But yeah. if we, by, by talking to, you know, five or 10 different uh people who are on the fence about whether they should take the test because that's really the only decision you have to make at this point right is like i already paid my money i don't get any refund if i withdraw but withdrawal is still an option and so it's a good kind of last minute just check in to see and probably for about half of the people i'm going to be like no 
No, you shouldn't. You're 20 points away from your goal. Are you kidding me? Like what you, you don't feel good about it. You're not going to, you're not going to get lucky on the test. But anyway, it's Thursdays, 4 PM Pacific, 7 PM Eastern. It's totally free. Just get a free demon free account and uh, come to my study group and yep. talk to and me. To get, to get that demon free account, just go to lsaddemon.com. You can actually scroll down on the homepage and see the events that are happening that day. Uh, or click ahead and see Nathan's event on Thursday to read more about it. Let's jump in. All right, so pearls versus turds. This is where we take some wisdom, or I should put air quotes there, wisdom. Yeah, received wisdom, which might not be that wise. Yeah, well, it turns out that these have mostly not been wise. Um, Although I guess if something really is wise, maybe people would be less inclined to ask us so maybe we're getting a biased set of pearls versus turds questions. That's for sure, because people send us in stuff that they hate, uh, wanting us to dunk on it. Yeah. So <laughs> that does happen. So far, the scoreboard is 15 pearls, 51 turds, and 24 ties, which we always note is are just turds. So it's not good out there. But... Um, This one says, hey, Ben and Nathan, I'm sending a post from Seven Sage that I already have pretty strong opinions about, but I thought there could be some good bits for pearls versus turds, Sydney. All right. says, LG tips for accuracy under time pressure from a 170 plus score. It sounds like this is a tip from someone who used Seven Sage. As opposed to seven, seven maybe seven. yeah, maybe. maybe this came from like the bulletin boards or something on Seven Sage. Okay, we got lots of bullet points. <laughs> it's here. like Yikes. fifteen bullet points. <laughs> okay, well, bullet point number one: don't go through a game in an automatic way, even if easy game. I'm reading yes, it. verbatim. Yes. What it says. Uh-huh. <laughs> Read and write down rules as carefully as if it were a tough game. Sometimes they throw in unexpected things in easy games, and one word can make a big difference to the rules. For example, only if versus if. (laughs) Okay. There's a lot going on in that one bullet point. Um, The first part of it, I think, is wrong. I, I, I don't... I just don't encourage people to read and write down the rules anymore. That's not a thing that I teach. I Okay. I want you to go for a solution and if you can incorporate the rules into a solution, I think that's vastly better than writing down the rules. Got it. There are many rules that I would never write down. There's 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 lots of rules that are so complicated that they're like they're they're harder to write down than they are to just understand. Sure. You know, yeah. I, I think the hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. How do I draw this one? Well, you don't have to draw it. You could just understand. You're it. not required. You don't get points for writing down the rules. <laughs> Plus, you do have a list of the rules. They're all on there on the page. So I don't even teach people to do that these days. Uh, I feel like that's a bit of the LSAT dogma that we're trying to get rid of. Hey, I just started listening to this article about some golf coach who's kind of changing the rules of the game. You know, this guy, he's in L.A. He um, he uses a lot of profane language like you, Nathan. Okay. And what he has started doing is questioning the perfect golf swing. 
So he says that like a lot of people, you know, they get out there, they're golfing and they get complimented on their golf swing. And he's like, I don't give a fuck about the golf swing. All I care about is where the ball went. And there are a lot of golf swings that look weird, but they get the job done. Have you heard of this guy? I got to look this up. You That's look, not like, a confused. guy. I don't know. That's everybody knows that. I mean, that's not, that's nothing new. This is what happens when people from outside a domain try to come in yeah. and talk about like what's inside of a domain. It, my across the street neighbor, he he called me the other day and he's like, hey, I had a meeting with these guys and they created this golf app and I want to talk to you about it because you're a golfer. And he started explaining to me what this app does. And I was immediately like, there's no way in hell I would use it. There's no way in hell my dad would use it. There's no way in hell any of my golf buddies would use it. No, no one wants this. <laughs> he's okay. like, what? Yeah, yeah. What? It seems like it does a really great job. And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> trust me. I know golfers and ain't no golfer would be interested in that. I mean, no, it, like Ben, I'm sorry to shit on your story about no, golf, but well, like, do you know who Jim Furyk is? No. Jim Furyk is a, he made millions and millions and millions of dollars on the PGA tour. He won a U.S. open maybe. I mean, he won a FedEx cup, which has a $10 million first prize. He, he won like dude made literally hundreds of millions of dollars on the PGA tour. He has the ugliest golf swing ever. And he's been famous on the PGA tour for 20 years. So it's not like there's plenty of dudes who have real bad swings who get it done just fine. Well, that's, that's good to know. I mean, that's what this article was saying, but it made me think of, uh, this idea that people get wedded to processes over oh, yeah. results. Totally. Right. And here's a process, right? Read and write down the rules. Right. As opposed to you don't get points for doing that. You get points for getting the ball in the hole. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. You have to get it done. However you want to do it, you have to get it done. And this the dogma of how to teach LSAT logic games, write down all of the variables, then write down each rule, then as if it's a separate thing, then start looking for inferences. Yeah. And it's like, well, wait a second. I mean, if you're paying attention, first of all, you should read everything before you write anything. Because otherwise, how the hell do you even know what the system is going to like look like? You need to get the 40,000-foot view before you start coming in for a landing. And um, you, as you're getting the 40,000-foot view, you should start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And that's way before you write anything down or figure out how to notate the rules or whatever. So <laughs> there's there I 100% agree with you that there are many many ways to get it done. And we're looking for yeah, those elegant solutions, not necessarily the scripted one, right? We're Yeah. We want you to improvise. Yeah. Anyway, the second half of this bullet point is like too obvious 
to be a tip. Okay. One word can make a big difference, like only if versus if. Yeah. I mean, no shit. That changes the that completely changes the meaning of the rule. It's a reading comprehension test first. So, like that tip is read carefully. Uh, no shit. Yeah. I mean, and it's mistitled by the way. LG tips for accuracy under time pressure. It's like, <laughs> okay. Read it carefully. Yeah, that's step 1, and that's for 170 scorers and it's also for 130 scorers. That's for everybody, you know? I mean, you need to read it carefully. Anyway. Can we go on? I I don't want to spend too much time on this cuz there these are these are dumb tips. Okay. If game three is really tough, check to see if game four is easier. Oh, wow. And do it first. Don't lose five to seven points on a game on game four by spending all your remaining time on a more difficult game three. Um, how would you know the game four is easier? I can't tell. <laughs> when a game is going to be easier or I'm harder. I'm sorry to hear that, Nathan. You've been doing this for 12 years. <laughs> I This is my <laughs> livelihood. I'm pretty good at it. I I cannot tell at a glance. I would have to invest a couple minutes anyway into yeah. a game. And by the time I've invested a couple minutes, I'm going to finish my damn job. I'm not... I'm not open to the possibility that a game is too hard for me. I'm, I'm not, and I'm certainly, cause I know exactly what most students are going to do here. They're going to think that a game is hard. They're going to look at the next game. Then they're going to decide that that game is also hard. And they're not just going to do it on game three and game four. They're going to do it on game one and game two. Yeah. And try to cherry pick and, I can't imagine that being a successful strategy. You know, you lately, man, I, in class, I don't know what you'll think about this. Oh, I have a pretty good idea what you'll think about it since we tend to eventually agree on most things, but I've been telling people that they just shouldn't go to law school without perfect logic games. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I mean, and the reason why I say that is because it's real hard to score in the one seventies without perfect logic games. It's also real easy, not, not that it's not hard work, but almost everybody can get to perfect on the games if they just grind it out. And I know that sounds shocking for like new students, but I mean, I have my classes do like a show of hands all the time. You know, how many of you here started with games was your worst section and now you're perfect. Yeah. And like half the room raises their hand. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well then if you're not yet there, it's probably because you haven't done the work yet. I mean, I also do, people are like, Nathan, I, I'm just at this plateau on the logic games and I just don't think, I just can't seem to get any better. And I think two games or three games is the best I'm ever going to do. And I'm like, okay, how many games have you done? How many sections of games have you done? And sometimes they'll say a, fairly high number but it's like well i've been at it for a while i've done like 30 timed sections and i'm like good you've done basically a third of the games that are out there is that good enough you've done one third of the available prep is that good enough 
and lawyers aren't the type of people who just say, sure, that's good enough. Uh, yeah, let's just go to trial. Uh, I'm ready. Enough. <laughs> let's do it. I've done a third of the research I need yeah. for your case. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm familiar with a third of the case law surrounding this issue. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's roughly the same. We've made it through a we're third of the discovery we're... document. Uh, we're, we're good. <laughs> I mean, you know, and if law school costs $1,500 or maybe $15,000, then I would say I wouldn't be such a stickler about it. But when law school costs $150,000 or more, yeah then it's just like yeah you probably need to make this investment to get yourself to perfect logic games because then law school is going to cost you zero and so that's why like this is such a dumb strategy because it's a short-sighted like you're just deciding in advance that it's possible that you're not going to be perfect on the games if you're going to select which games you're going to do yeah and sorry but your competitors like the ones that matter are going to do all four games and they're going to get them all right. Yeah. Anyway, any of these other bullets? I don't know that we need to read all these bullets. This is obviously bad advice. So it's already a turd. I'm going to go ahead and update the scoreboard. Let's skim through some of these before writing down a rule, play around with it in your head to get the best representation. Sure. Yes. But read all of the rules and the whole setup of the game. And maybe you don't even write down the rule. But his next bullet okay. point. Oh, you just preached against this. Represent all, which is in all caps, rules. Represent all rules, even if it's a weird one to represent. Otherwise, you risk forgetting about the rule. No fucking way. No way. The circuit load of the panel actually... is equal to the total number of switches that are on. Why would you write that yeah. down? What, what are you possibly going to write down? Well, the weird thing here is that I don't even think this person does this and they don't realize it, right? Because often rules are not in the list. They're in the opening paragraph. Yeah, the one I just said was in the paragraph part. Not in the actual list of rules, right? So how many times has this person not written down a rule that they read in the paragraph but then think that they follow this maxim to represent all rules? All right, let, let's let's do one more of these, and then let's get let's get out of here. This is dumb. This is a re- very bad tip. Okay, I'm just randomly. Well, like do the very next. One. I like the next one. Oh, you like the next. I mean, one. I let's hate see. the next one, but it. You yeah. <laughs> you like to hate it. If unsure how to represent a rule on the game board or which elements are important, look at questions to see what they ask about. For example. <laughs> In sequencing games, sometimes they make us think it it will be double layered when the extra category is not that important and it doesn't need to be double layered. What is this person talking about? Like the you know, this is exactly what I'm talking about though. They they're so focused on writing down the rules perfectly that yeah. they're actually willing to go look at the questions to let the questions inform the type of diagram they're going to like, 
oh, I want to know how to write this rule perfectly, so let me look and see what the questions are asking. Then I'll come back and write down the rule perfectly. Yeah. Meanwhile, you could just be putting the pieces of the puzzle together and solving the damn thing. By the way, I want to talk about one thing that's inherently assumed in the title of this article or post. LG tips for accuracy under time pressure from a 170 plus score. LG tips for accuracy under time pressure. There should be no difference. Right. In how you approach the questions, whether you're finishing the section or not. There is no, oh, oh wait, you're under time pressure. Okay. Well, we're going to give you these set of tips. It's like the way to finish the games in time is the way to finish the games, period. It's the best way. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Understanding, etc. This guy also doesn't want you to do worlds. If you're aiming to get to all four games, splitting should be a last resort. Wow. Bullshit. That's the opposite. If you're aiming to get to all four games, splitting, or we call it worlds, should be your first resort. That is the best way by far to just destroy logic games is to make worlds. Reasonable minds can disagree. I don't doubt that this person figured out a way to score perfectly. There's a lot of people who can do it perfectly in a lot of different ways, but none of this is anything that we would ever teach. Yeah, if you have a Pearl versus Turd candidate, email us at help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat. Let's jump into this uh, logical reasoning question. Yep, let's do it. This is from Prep Test 73. It's section two, question 12. Uh, I will read it and try to elicit some responses from Ben. The passage says, the, the chairperson should not have released the election commission's report to the public, comma, for the chairperson did not consult any other members of the commission about releasing the report before having it released. What do you think? It's just one sentence. Okay. Yeah, it's one sentence, but it is an argument. It has two components. The first part, the chairperson should not have released the election commission's report to the public. Um, that sounds like a conclusion and it definitely is because right after it, it says for, which just means because, and the author goes on to tell us why the chairperson shouldn't have released it to the public. Why? Because the chairperson didn't consult any other members of the commission, um, about doing that. Okay. Um, I guess... On some level, this argument kind of makes sense, but it is making a big assumption. Who's to say that the chairperson needs to check in with everybody before releasing something to the public? So I don't necessarily disagree with that assumption. Maybe you do need to check in with everybody else on the board, but it is an assumption. And so I'm going to take issue with this argument and say it's definitely not proven. Yeah, you could certainly see... You know, the flip side of that is, well, wait a second, there's only one person on or there's, you know, this this chairperson is the only person who matters. Like they're the sheriff and the primary landowner in town and they fund everything in the entire town. And the report is their own personal information that they 
are disclosing. I don't know. Like there's just a million other reasons. There's just a million reasons why it's like, wait, no, why, why would they have to consult the other members of the commission? Yeah. I mean, it's totally reasonable maybe in some circumstances to expect that, but we don't know if that's required. So the argument fails. The conclusion is not proven. Um, the question says, oh, wait, sorry. You're the yeah, the question. question says the argument's conclusion can be properly inferred if which one of the following is assumed. Okay, so this is, in my mind, one of the easiest question types on the test. thousand percent. Sufficient assumption question. And a sufficient assumption question is asking us to find an answer that if it were added to the premises of the argument would make the conclusion true. So which answer, if it were true, would prove the conclusion? I've been real, um, I, I've been like a stickler with my classes lately about sufficient assumption questions. I mean, I've been like, it's sort of the same thing as I, I was saying earlier about like, yeah. oh, you're not to your goal yet, but you're also not perfect on the logic games. Okay, well, you need to get perfect on the logic games. Sufficient assumption questions. It's like, I don't care what level you're at. If you attempt a sufficient assumption question, you you must get it right. Like, it's just not okay to miss sufficient assumption questions ever. Yeah. I mean, one just to unpack that a little bit, I think we have before, but just to clarify, sufficient assumption questions tie the test takers down, right? They have to give you an test answer makers, that's going to make... Yeah, what did test I takers. say? Oh, that's so weird. I heard literally myself say test writers or something. But anyways, um, yeah, the test makers are constrained by this question type. They have to give you an answer that is good enough to make the conclusion true. And for that reason, they don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of what answer choices they can give you. And that's good for you because now you can predict like, okay, well, what is this answer got to contain if it's going to go ahead and prove this conclusion? And right now, I need something that shows if you don't consult with other members of the commission, you have a problem. You should not be allowed to release the report to the public. I just need something like that. And answers that go off on different topics are not going to be correct. Yeah. Uh, so I know it has to right. deal with that. And so another way of saying what Ben just said is, these questions are super predictable because the correct answer has to take the evidence that we have and force the conclusion to be true. And yeah. it's like very, I guess you could say it's a technical thing, but it's just like, you have to learn that there is such a thing as a proven argument. Like the premises can add up to the conclusion sometimes. And that's what happens yeah. on every single sufficient assumption question is you're just basically adding a new premise that will complete the argument and force the conclusion on the page to be true. And there's like one way to get there. And I mean, it, the, I, <laughs> it's funny when I start writing a lot of explanations, then I kind of start losing patience. Like if I do one a day, I can be very patient. But when I write five a day, then I'm like, I lose patience on, especially on a sufficient assumption question. I don't, I'm not going to go through the wrong answers. I'm sorry. I'm not like, I, no. And I, I definitely do this in my classes. It's like, Hey, if you want to learn how to do a sufficient assumption question properly, you need to learn how to predict the answer. And people are like, but why isn't B the answer? And I'm like, because it's not what I said. It's not what I predicted. 
and and that that lesson like does have to you you're not going to be good at these until you get that lesson right yeah. which is just no you tell them what the answer is yeah. and then when you start reading wrong answers that aren't saying exactly what you want them to say i don't give a shit what it says it's not the answer so anyway what was your prediction again uh Basically, if you don't consult any other members of the commission, you have a problem. You cannot or you should not release the report. Yeah, and, and you would want to stick with, like, you you started, you went with this, you have a problem. But, I mean, that would never be your actual prediction. Your prediction would be Sorry, yeah. if the premise, then the conclusion. Yeah. Right? It's if you didn't consult anybody else, then you should not release. Yeah. And that's it. And if the answer doesn't say that or a synonym of that or like another way of saying that exact same thing. You know, we could, we could use only if we could use unless we could use if then we could, use, there's a million different ways we could state the, the rule, but the rule is if you didn't consult anybody, you can't release the report. Yep. And the answer has to have that. If it doesn't have that, that's not the answer. All right, so A says, it would have been permissible for the chairperson to release the commission's report to the public only if most other members of the commission had first given their consent. Okay, so this answer choice is basically saying it's permissible to release, but only if, only in these certain circumstances, only in the circumstance in which most other members of the commission had first given their consent. And in this argument, they weren't even consulted, right? right? So if they weren't even consulted, then they could not have given their consent first. And for that reason, it would not have been permissible because this answer is saying it would be permissible only if they had given their consent. They hadn't. So it wouldn't be permissible, and that would make the conclusion true. Yeah. The chairperson should not have released the election commission's report to the public. Yeah. This turns out to be a very tricky sufficient assumption question because our prediction was you can release only if you have consulted. This one says you can release only if they gave their consent. But it's not a huge stretch to say, you can't get consent if you didn't even ask and uh therefore a is going to turn out to be correct it, it gets there in a slightly different way but it does have the root of what we wanted which was hey you got to consult these people if you didn't consult you can't release the report so let's clarify something here it doesn't have the exact wording and i think you said this but just so people understand it doesn't have the exact wording of our prediction but it covers what we needed covered. Yeah. And so now the conclusion is proven and we're fine with that. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for when we go into these answer choices. Yeah, the harder sufficient assumption questions are going to use slightly different wording maybe than the test, but it doesn't differ in meaning. Yeah, it's going to do the same thing. It means the same yeah. thing. Yes. Yeah. And I, in, in real time, I might not have, I mean, I certainly wouldn't like select A and move on. I would read B, C, D, E. Yeah, there would be like a little, like, 
there's a part of me that's like consent. Okay, I uh, yeah. Well, they didn't give consent because they weren't even consulted. But there's like a hesitation there, right? Because a lot of these are just straightforward. They use the exact oh, same wording, and there's no question. A doesn't have to be the answer. If they had another answer that said you should not release a report if you did not ask the commission for consent. Yeah. I would pick that in a heartbeat and I would let go of a, I could make an argument against a, you know, implied consent. Uh, what if it says in the charter of the commission that you give consent w without consultation, mm -hmm. you know, like it, I, I don't think a legally has to be hundred percent true, but they're, they're humans who are writing the test, not robots. And they wrote yeah. an answer that to them makes perfect sense. I'm going to read all five. I'm going to get rid of the ones that are definitely not the answer. And the one remaining answer, I am going to be generous enough to it to understand what they meant by that answer. Right? So here, I think I might've like left a open and then gone through B, C, D, E. But look, B says all of the members of the commission had signed the report prior to its release uh okay that would suggest something contrary to the premise so i'm, I'm mildly confused here um and that does not help my conclusion at all <laughs> yeah we know like, like we're trying got to stay focused on the conclusion that we want right the conclusion is you yeah. shouldn't have released this to the public if they all signed it how does that support the idea that you shouldn't have released it to the public? If anything, it says you should have. They signed it. They yeah, like I don't it. see how that possibly helps the argument. C says the chairperson would not have been justified in releasing the commission's report if any members of the commission had serious reservations about the report's content. Okay, so... <clears throat> This starts to go in the right direction, right? The chairperson would not have been justified in releasing the report. That's kind of consistent with the though, conclusion. It needs to not. say, if they didn't con consult the people Yeah, if the they didn't get consulted. This is just like if any of them had serious reservations, but we don't even know if any of them would have had serious reservations because they weren't even asked. So right now I have a big question mark. Uh, would they Good. have serious yeah. We have no idea whether they have reservations, so C can't do anything. Yep. D, the chairperson would have been justified in releasing the report only if each of the commission's members, sounds pretty good so far. If yep. it says were consulted, then that would be the answer. And instead it says, if they would have agreed to its being released, had they been consulted. Okay, so had, by the way, also means if. So this is like, they would have been justified only if the, if each of them would have agreed if they had been consulted. But they hadn't been consulted. So this whole if-then yeah. well, logic doesn't happen. Also, they might, we don't know, maybe they would have agreed. I mean, it's totally yeah. possible that with C... It's totally possible that none of them had serious reservations. And with D, mm -hmm. it's totally possible that they all are like, yeah, fine. We don't give a fuck. Release it. Who cares? 
We just don't know because they hadn't been consulted. We have no idea. <laughs> so that can't that answer yeah. can't do anything. E says some members of the commission would have preferred that the report not be released to the public. Okay. Um great. That doesn't tell us whether it should or should not have been released though. Uh the only issue here was about consulting them, not about their preferences. Yeah, I mean to argue against E maybe the exact reason why it should be released is that some members of the commission would prefer that it's kept secret. It reveals things about like, them. Who knows? What they prefer is not really relevant. The evidence or the argument was if you don't consult, you can't release. Do any of the answers say if you don't consult, you can't release? None of them say that verbatim. But A works because it says... You can release only if they consent, and clearly they did not consent, yeah. so therefore... Well, it's not so clear, honestly. I mean, you have to make the assumption that it's not possible to consent if you weren't consulted. True. But they made the... T they, made, they wrote this question. Their intention was to have one obviously correct answer in their mind. This is the best by That's far. That's what they meant. It requires the <laughs> they, smallest jump. They the meant end. that if you're not ever consulted, you cannot give consent. And if A is true, then you can't release the report if they didn't give consent. We have to add the one tiny assumption that, hey, if we didn't consult them, they could not have consented. And that's not a huge stretch. You can understand what they meant. And that's, that's going to be the answer. Yeah. And look, if you're taking issue with A because of that assumption... That's fine. Compare that assumption to the assumptions you have to make with any other answer. Right. Not good. Right. Yeah. And by the way, most of these sufficient assumption questions are far more straightforward than the one we just did here. Like this is, I honestly, I, I think that this is a, an imperfect question. Sure. Because, you know, like you were saying, the test maker's hands are tied and all that stuff. It's like, well, are, yeah, except for like this one. <laughs> where, I mean, I think that they actually just kind of did a poor job writing this question. Still. At the end of the day, though. Yeah, right? what else are you going to pick? What are the numbers? Yeah, how many people who scored <laughs> in the 170s picked the right answer? Right. I'm sure it's a, a valid question because people, and that's how life is, too. When you're arguing a case before a judge, you're not going to find perfect precedent, but you're going to have to say, well, I think this precedent is by far the best. And for that reason, perfect. And that's what we're going yeah, to get to. The instructions on the test say that you're not allowed to make implausible or superfluous assumptions. It doesn't say you're not allowed to make any assumptions at all. Is it implausible or superfluous to assume that if you weren't consulted, you could not have given your consent? Uh, that's a pretty hard argument to make. You know, are you really going to stand up in court and start yelling about it? Like, well, what do you mean they couldn't have given their consent? And the other side goes, uh, well, you didn't ask them. Yeah, yeah but you could, they could still have given their consent anyway. Like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> How? I mean, it's, it's plausible, right? Like, 
there's tacit approval. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is you or past approval. It's going to be harder to make that argument than it is to make the other argument. That's all that I care right. about. I'm not saying the argument can't be made. I'm just saying it's a lot easier to make that argument than to make some of these other ones for any of these other it's answer so, choices. That's yeah. That's always what happens, right? In class, people are like, "Yeah, but this I hate this answer cuz blah blah blah." It's like, "Fine." Make the case for the other answer choice. Right. And they sound stupid. Right. No, it's, it's like it's not. Yeah. Which one of these is going to get laughed at? Okay. That's not yeah. probably the answer. Yeah. You know, if you have to do all kinds of crazy gymnastics to justify an answer, that's probably not the answer. The gymnastics that we have to do to justify A is just like, well, they were never asked, so they couldn't have given their consent. I mean, what are you going to, oh, it was implied? No, it wasn't implied. <laughs> What's your justification for that? Yeah. I mean, it's just harder to make that side of the argument than it is to make the, well, how could they have given consent? Okay. Anyway, uh, great. Cool. It's been a while since we've done a logical reasoning question together. That's always fun. Yeah. So what we have one word here, huh? Personal statement palooza continued. Yeah, well, it was personal statement stravaganza in the last episode, but this time I decided that it's personal statement palooza. It's that time of year, you know, we've got, um, mm -hmm. if you're following our advice, you are going to apply in September. Full stop. <laughs> like, not really. Silence. I mean, that's just that's just how to do it if you're doing it right. I, I don't care. I like I yes, you have life circumstances. I don't care. If you want to go to law school for free, if you want to go to the best school you can go to, you're going to apply in September with the best score you can get. And so uh, we're recording this on August 3rd. Um, it's my grandma's 90th birthday today. Happy birthday, grandma. Um, wow. She doesn't listen to the podcast. She would be shocked. Uh, anyway, August 3rd is, yeah, it's time. People are thinking about their personal statement. So we've got three more here. We've got Alan, Ivy, and JB. Okay. And continuing on with what we did last time, we're going to read these until we don't want to read them anymore. Sorry, I don't. I already am like shaking my head at Alan's personal statement. It starts with a quote. That's not good. <laughs> That's really, really bad. Yeah, it's lame. It's just like so cheesy and lame. It's just so dumb to do that. Anyway, we're. Why do people do that? Haven't we like said that a million times? <laughs> well, don't quote people. Hey, you know we do have new listeners, Ben. <laughs> We've been doing this podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> Ben. Many of our students were literally in junior high when we started doing the podcast. Hmm. <laughs> so are we, are we promoting to the wrong demographic? Do we need to be targeting like high school and say, yeah, we should start getting our get ready in them when they're young. Um, <laughs> no, it's, we, we, we get in our own bubble a little bit, right? Because we're like, Hey, how many times do we have to say this? But well, I'll listen to Nathan. He's being all like empathetic. With 310 and... <laughs> episodes, I mean, you are you're kind of a psycho if you have listened to all 310 episodes. 
And I feel like there was someone who wrote in and said they listened to them twice or something. Oh, no. I know people who have listened to them all (laughs) multiple times. Like one former student of ours would just listen at work and just like constantly have it on in the background. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's run it back from episode 309. Okay. What we were doing is we were pretending, hey, we are busy admissions people. We have about seven applications for every person who's going to actually end up coming to our school. Yeah. That's on average. Uh, actually, it's probably higher than that because that math came from the total number of applications divided by the total number of applicants. But not all applicants are going to even go to school. So it's probably more like 10 or 12 or 15 applications mm-hmm. per person who's going to end up matriculating at our John Roberts School of Law. Right? Yeah. So yep. we're sitting there with a big stack of applications. And let's assume that we've already presumptively admitted the people who have really killer LSAT and GPA. They're in unless they do something real dumb on their personal statement. Yep. The people who have real low LSAT and GPA, they're not getting in no matter how good their personal statement is. I mean, maybe one out of a thousand, but we're not giving advice for the one out of a thousand. We're giving advice that matters, right? Yeah. So let's assume that these applicants have similar LSAT, similar GPA, and that they're kind of on the bubble at our school. And we're really only going to admit like one of these. How much are we going to actually read these, these statements? Not much. I think we're going to read them to the point where we get bored with them and we're going to go look at the next one. Yep. And then we're going to make our decision. Right. Yeah. So let's see how far we would get into Alan's personal statement. I'll, I'll, I'll read. It starts with a quote. It's the quote is full centered at the top of the document. And it says, we all make mistakes, have struggles, and even regret things in our past. At this point, I'm thinking to myself, no shit. I don't think I would read any further, honestly. It's like, oh, so you're starting off with like this just platitude. This like Mm -hmm. so obvious platitude. Like really, what do you think you're? Like educating me about the imperfection of the human condition or some shit. Like what? Oh wow, we all make mistakes. Oh my yeah, god! Wow. <laughs> yeah, it goes on and it says, "But you are not your mistakes. You are not your struggles, and you are here now with the power to shape your day oh and your future." God. And then Steve Maraboli is the author of that Chef's Kiss, you know, <laughs> gem of a. <laughs> quote and it's like god damn it you're you're wasting my time by putting some shit from steve maraboli whoever the hell that is what yeah this is a personal statement the person is you not steve and the fact that you're that steve is your guru or whatever doesn't do anything for me i i care what you've done i don't you parroting somebody else's platitudes ain't doing it for me Anyway, here's the first paragraph, and I honestly don't think I'm getting any further. This one would go into the no pile real quickly. Because of this quote's impact on me, 
I recited it during my school's convocation at the beginning of the 2020 fall semester amidst the numerous social injustices that occurred in the preceding summer. I picked this quote. I still don't know anything about Alan. <laughs> I don't know. I, he's making a speech. So he probably was like select. I don't know. I'm like trying to be generous. I'm, I'm going like, oh, yeah, so he's a good student leader of some yeah. sort or I don't know. I picked this quote because of the adverse experiences we go through as humans. Oh. Oh, now you're going to tell me about life. You're now a guru. You're exactly. Self-appointed life guru. I, I'm like, yeah. goodbye. You're not serious. It's just not. I don't want to be lectured to. This is like condescending. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I get it that it's like positive and optimistic. I have no doubt that Alan is like a nice guy, genuine, well-meaning. But I don't. I just I'm not here to listen to you preach to me about the human condition. You know what? Uh, one thing I want people, I, I do really want when you're writing your personal statement, you need to realize that the reader is older than you. Yeah. That matters. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're like middle aged, right? I'm 45. Mm -hmm. Your reader is more, is almost guaranteed to be older than me. Yeah. You know, or the average age is probably older than me could be by a lot. I mean, you could have, it could be yeah. like an 80 year old law professor reading this and you're going to condescend to them about the adverse experiences we go through as humans, like to someone who went through way more than you've ever gone through before you were even born. And I don't know. It, it's just stop it. It goes on. We are given the opportunity to do more, do better than yesterday and overcome adversity, which is like you're repeating the damn quote that you put at the top of your statement. After reciting this quote, our student body observed a collective moment of silence for eight minutes and 46 seconds in reverence to George Floyd's life. I thought George Floyd could easily, could have easily been me as I began to reflect. I reflected on where I came from, my community, my undergraduate experience, and where I see myself years from now. <laughs> ben is like stunned silence. <laughs> You're just done. You're ready for the next one. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you. Alan sounds like a nice person who is well <laughs> intended and trying to, I don't know, do the world good, but it's just, it's not the ingredients for a personal statement. There's so much more power in saying what you've done, not talking about what you think. Yeah. I mean, so much of this is about, Alan's thoughts it's, and beliefs. It, it's it's like number one personal statement tip that I give these days is just like stop telling me about your mental states. I don't want to know mm -hmm. what you think. I want to know what you did. So yeah. Black Lives Matter. Yes. George Floyd. That was super fucked up. You're not telling me anything new, though. And 
the fact that it was impactful to you, you need to show that that impact, not tell me about the impact, which is all you're doing here. This is pure telling. What, what's one thing we know about Alan? He made a speech. That's all we know. We don't know why. We don't know what led to that. We don't know what Alan has done except for give a speech and ask people yeah. to be quiet. I'm going to read one more sentence because I think it does the exact same flaw. I, I think it's I think it's wrong in the exact same way. And the best yep. thing we can do to help Alan is to say, "Hey, start over and start and and tell us what you actually did." Like you need to you need to give uh, I want to see Alan doing shit. But instead, this is what we get. I am drawn to the profession of law because I want to be a voice for the unheard in court where it matters, where policies can be changed and the status quo can be broken. I feel like there's two things really wrong with that. The first is it's back to your mental states. You're drawn to law. No shit. You're applying to law school. You want to be a voice for the unheard. Great. What have you done to demonstrate that you are taking action to be the voice mm -hmm. for the unheard? Because you telling me that this is what you want, there's a thousand other people. I got a stack of these applications and you wanting it doesn't separate you at all. Every single person in this entire stack wants it. What have you done about it? And so that's the first thing that this statement does wrong. But the second thing, it's also pretending to know things about law that are just probably not even true. Yeah. I mean, in court where it matters. Do you know? Is that where policies can be changed? Yeah, where policies can be changed and the status quo can be broken. You've been watching too much TV. Like, that's... <laughs> where. What do you think actually is I, I the vast majority of lawyers are technicians. You're yeah. operating according to like an established rule book. Most law schools are they're they're getting work you're you're <laughs> If you're going to be successful as a lawyer, you're probably going to be a worker bee. You're probably going to be applying the rules working within the system you're probably not going to be making policy ever. Like almost nobody is making policy. So this all just comes off super naive to me. And I, I believe I want Alan to be successful because he's clearly passionate, but you, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta show me what you've actually done. It, it, and so, <laughs> Later yeah. in this paragraph, it looks like he's now he's finally getting into it, telling me about. He's finally getting into it, but he's still it's just conclusory, right. right? Or conclusory. It's like this is, I was this, I was that, as opposed to okay, what'd you do? What'd you do in those roles? So I, I continued to flourish athletically. <laughs> Don't tell me that you're flourishing athletically, but. Yeah, look at the look at all the extra verbiage here. I like, by the way, conclusatory. 
I think that that's a good, it's a good, like, amalgam of accusatory and conclusory. <laughs> conclusatory is like, because it is, it's like, it's like easy, dude. Don't tell yeah. me, because he goes, I continued to flourish athletically as a standout outside linebacker. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, really? So you're flourishing and you're a standout. All right. According to you. I mean, instead, like if you if you were all American, say you were all American or if you were the MVP of your league, say you were the MVP of your league. Or if you started, fine. if you were a starting that. outside linebacker, maybe you started as a freshman or something. I don't know. Like, give me facts, but it is yep. definitely conclusatory to because you're like attacking me with the how much you're flourishing and how much you're a standout and stuff it's like yeah whoa easy dude let's and it continues read the rest of that sentence oh and part-time fast food employee demonstrating the necessary time management skills and work ethic necessary oh god for law school <laughs> aside from the double necessary there which would never happen if you had read this out loud or you would have edited it out if you had ever read it out loud. Um, you're, God, it's like doing all those same problems again. It's it's conclusory, conclusatory, and you're telling me about law school. Like your reader knows way more about law school than you do. Bye. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, that would be next. And by the way, Alan, if you would like to take our advice and resubmit, we would love to see it again, but I mean, it needs to be more facts, fewer conclusions, obviously kill the quote, stop talking about your mental state, be plain spoken and fact driven about what you've actually done. I'm scanning the rest of this statement and I do see some sentences that seem to be facts of what you did, but they're few and far between and they're quickly followed up with the same mistakes. This you know, enhanced my ability to. Yeah. Why blah, so blah, many blah, conclusions? Just say what you did. And we will conclude from that, that you're capable and ready for law school. Yeah. So, all right. Good luck. Next. Uh, here's Ivy. Okay. I'm going to ignore the email and just read the statement. Huh? Okay. I'll come back to the PS from Ivy. She wrote two emails in and I put the second one in as a PS, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. Go ahead and start with the top of the okay. personal statement. Sure. While a full-time undergraduate student, I was also a student performer, designer, and technician for the theater department. Okay. In comparison. Yeah. I love it already. Yeah. It's, it's an, I am sentence, but it is telling us, a lot about Ivy right away. We know she's a student performer. She's a designer, a technician in the theater department. So she's a, she's a theater theater kid, but kid, yeah. working I hard. I mean, uh, that's as a, as a full-time undergrad, very in very yeah. involved and notice she's not saying I was very involved and I had to exercise <laughs> my excellent time management skills, which will serve me well in the practice of law. Like she doesn't, waste our time with all that bullshit instead she just says what she was doing and then we immediately go oh super involved in theater while also a full-time undergrad we can we're gonna reach that conclusion and <laughs> we're gonna land on that conclusion much more solidly if she just doesn't even say it ever she does 
you, you no. It doesn't even matter if she says the exact same conclusion that we draw on our own. It's the mere fact of you saying it that takes the wind out of the sails. It's like it just loses its power. It's like Anyways. if someone tells you buy this right now, you should buy this. You should buy you buy you should buy this for me right now. You should buy it. Yeah. It's like don't fucking tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own research. I'm going to arrive, you know, like I might have been wanting to buy it. Yeah. Until you started trying to force me to buy it. And so I, it's just, it's much better to like kind of flirt around the edges with just the facts. Like don't, don't overplay your, anyway, go, go on. Yeah. She continues. She's got two spaces after her period here. Um, and that's consistent throughout. So I'm glad it's consistent, but I would stick with it. I spent days from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. in classes, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. in rehearsals as a performer or stage manager, and 11 p.m. often until 1 or 2 a.m. designing lights, scene, scenic elements, or finishing constructions for the show. Okay, uh, I don't know what I think about this. Like, I'm going to tell you my schedule. Yeah. This is almost too detailed yeah. i also it's starting to raise questions i'm like okay so you worked from eight until two is that really true if it is true that means you're giving yourself five to or six to seven hours for sleep assuming you even can just go to bed right away that doesn't seem smart well like, you're almost inviting the reader to question your it's all, choices here i knew you were gonna say that i ben always goes to the like well that might indicate bad judgment if that were true um yeah i i'm gonna just push back on the no you didn't you you were not in class from 8 a.m to 5 p.m no you weren't yeah nobody was there's no such thing as class you're not in class 40 hours a week you're in class more like yeah. 15 hours a week so it's a lie anyway and that's what happens when you get too specific or is it is it the part of the problem is the specificity, but also the other problem is these are not real facts, right? Like you've given us facts, but they're not accurate, and now we have a different problem. Yeah. Well, I just I, that's that is a documented lie. Okay, there is no way yep. you were in class from eight a.m. till five p.m. Like you might have had a class that started at eight, and you might have had a class that finished at five, but you were not in class from eight till five. Yeah. Nine hours a day, day, five days a week, we're to, <laughs> supposed to assume? No. How many days did you sleep in until 10 because you didn't have a class till 10 that day and then or took a nap from Come one? Come on. Everybody knows because... undergrad schedules. You mostly will have like a day off or sometimes multiple days off. I mean, my schedules, I would have class like Tuesday, Thursday, and that's it. Because I was lazy and a terrible student. But like I, <laughs> you can work the system. You can have all 15 of your hours of class on two days during the week and then have nothing for the other three days of the week. And I'm not, okay, maybe one day she went from eight till five. Well, there's no way she was doing that every day. And that's what she's uh, leading us to believe here. So it's a lie. Yeah. And um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, it feels like she's protesting too much. Like, I'm a full-time undergraduate student and I did all this stuff. And let me just show you, like, it was intense. And it's like, okay, like, 
you had me after the first sentence. Right. But now I'm stepping back. Well, and because we caught you in one lie, then we now start to suspect that everything you say is a lie. Like, did you really have six to 10 rehearsals every single day? Yeah. You know, was it maybe just one time that you stayed until one or 2 a.m.? You're trying to make it look like you're doing that five days a week. And I'm not sure I believe you really. Anyway. Well, and then here's the other problem with overselling because you are overselling. Now it's like, well, that it, let me grant you this as true. It just seems like a horrible life choice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll, I mean, but let's, the other side is she's trying to stay driven by the facts. She's not reaching a bunch of conclusions at least. Okay. So that's good. She continues. I also served as the business manager for our theater honorary Alpha Psi Omega. Honorary? I say honorary? Yeah, I've never heard that before. Is that like shorthand for something that we should know? I maybe that's a thing, but you know. Like they're a sponsor? Well, it sounds to me like it's an honorary fraternity or an honor honor society, maybe. Hmm. Maybe honor society is what she meant there. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. I thrived on a chaotic schedule and heavy workload and delivered performances, designs, and work that was praised consistently. Uh, You're just telling me that. Yeah. I I don't know. If she has a 4.0, I would allow it. Right. Like, I mean, it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't hate it as much if she had a 4.0. But if I look at her grades and I see that she's got a 3.4, I'm going to be like, hmm. OK, if you think that's thriving. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know that I need it. Right. OK, it's like I'm not saying I like part it. of me. It's like, yeah. yeah, being a performer means responding well to often harsh seeming criticism. OK. Being a stage manager means commanding a room and maintaining organization that would make a wedding planner weep. Really? Do you know how hard it is to plan a wedding? <laughs> and being the guy who's getting married in six weeks <laughs> would beg to differ. <laughs> but uh, okay. Okay. And being a designer means being able to take criteria and meet it cre- creatively. That's a long sentence. That's a long sentence. And it's again, it's a lot of telling it's like yeah. oh it's so hard to do this it's so hard to do that well why don't you just show me doing this show well, right. show yourself doing well this. why not so look look at what the subjects are there's a multi multiple subjects in that sentence and each yeah, one of them gerunds. are a form of the verb to be so she she mm-hmm. has like anthropomorphized the roles <laughs> being a performer means and instead she could have said as a performer i i right as a performer i responded to often harsh seeming criticism i would actually like you to unpack that a little bit more tell me a story about a time that you got the criticism and what you actually did Again, this is why this is conclusatory. Yeah, <laughs> conclusatory. Being a performer means responding well to often harsh-seeming criticism. You're just telling me that right. you responded well. I have no idea how you actually responded. Right. It's like I you're just you're just like forcing me to give you credit for that. Which is like, "Oh boy, she got harsh criticism and she responded well." 
I'm so glad that she responded well. Yeah. Imagine the reader standing up and being like, hey, guys, we need to, to get Ivy. I mean, she responds to criticism so well. They would never say that because they actually don't know that. They have no clue. Right. It's not like they're going to just take your words and be like, start advocating for you with what you said. It's, it's a missed opportunity to actually tell us that story. Right. And then yeah. the same thing. Being a stage manager means commanding a room. Well, you could have said, as a stage manager, I... And then don't just say commanded a room, but tell me the story of what you had to do what as happened? a damn stage manager. Get us to see what it means to command a room. Did you stand yeah. up and have to like browbeat people into paying attention and doing what you're when asking? When did you or have to do that? Listen? What was going on? That sounds like a leadership. Why? Like you could be telling me, you should. You could be showing me this leadership role. And instead you're just like forcing the conclusion that you commanded and a room. Well, and this, this part, I mean, I know it's kind of funny to talk about the wedding planner stuff, but in my head, I'm like, what, have you ever planned a wedding? Do you know wedding planners? <laughs> Do you know how hard that is? Why are you throwing this random group under the bus? Like it doesn't, it was a flourish, Ben. It was a, it was a rhetorical flourish and it's just the problem is, yeah, everybody that reads this is older than you and goes, are you fucking kidding me? Like you, you're going to tell me that your undergraduate planning a play is worse than <laughs> dealing with bride and groomzillas. Yeah. No way. Anyway. Okay. Should we, well, and even if it's true, right, that's not the point. It's like, it's you're inviting criticism for things that are irrelevant and not helping you at all. It's just picking a fight for no reason. Being a designer means being able to take criteria and meet it creatively. Cre I can't say that word. Creatively. 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 Okay, whatever. So, <laughs> I, all telling. Yeah, what do you mean? What criteria? Yeah. What creative solution? Also, you're throwing in so many different conclusions here that it's like, hey, are you got to pick something. Like, you, you got to pick a story. I can't have all of these things in my head at once. I get that you're trying to tell me that you were busy, but I would prefer that you just told me an, a, like an interesting story about one of these things. And I doubt that design is that thing. Like a creative solution to design criteria. I don't give a fuck. I'm looking for lawyers. Like what yeah. does that have to do with anything? Anyway, then it really kind of goes off the rails here. This, yeah. Well, the, the next sentence starts with the word additionally. And just everyone out there, you never need this word. Never. It is a long-winded word that can be replaced with and or also. Yeah, well, um, it could be I also lived instead of yep. additionally, comma, I lived. Yeah. You just never additionally five syllables. You could have put yep. and or also. Same with moreover, furthermore, nevertheless. These yeah. are all really long, heavy words that are unnecessary. Anyways, I lived off campus on my own and never had less, should be fewer, than two jobs to sustain financial needs. Uh, okay. Um, I manage schedules that outshine the best Google calendars. I think at this, I mean, I, 
I don't know. At this point, I'm kind of like, okay. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. You, you, you create the calendar in Google calendars, right? And now it outshines itself. What is that? I managed schedules that outshine the best Google calendars. Like they're more impressive. They're more full. They're fuller than the best ones out there. What are the best ones? Are they supposed to be full? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's just, it's another one of these rhetorical flourishes like the little wedding planner aside. It's like, it's too much. It's overselling. It's like, you know, the thing with Ivy is that I think Ivy, and if you look at in the Ivy's first email, I feel like I am a pretty proficient writer. And she says, so I was hoping you would read my first draft and absolutely ruin it, which, you know, so she, she knew what she was getting herself into here, but it's the kiss of death when people tell me that they're a proficient writer, because it's like, because Ivy and I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. Actually, Ivy is a pretty strong writer, but you're, you're falling in love with your own writing talent and you're therefore wasting my time and actually confusing me with these random asides. Like, I don't even know what that means. So stop it. Well, I hate to, to disagree here, be overly harsh, but I don't think any proficient writer would actually say pretty proficient. It's just the more <laughs> a proficient writer sheds all these unnecessary adjectives that Proficiency is not a relative term. You either are or yeah. are not proficient. So you wouldn't say you are pretty proficient. Yeah, I get it. I, hey, can we... Same um, with very. It's just, I don't... See, like, I. people can we, think they're good at writing and they're not. They're it's not. Just, no, you're not. No, Nobody is. Nobody is as good yeah. as they think they are, including me. But um, yeah. look at a, a Grammar Corner. Can we do Grammar Corner? What's Grammar Corner? Grammar Corner is a new feature of the show that I just invented right now where we talk about a grammar tip. Or Maybe I should have just gone with it. Yes, go for it. What's Grammar Corner? It's a, it's a punctuation-related Grammar Corner. Okay. When she said harsh-seeming criticism, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. thought that there should have been a hyphen there between harsh and seeming. Yeah. And then, which there wasn't. So I was wanting a hyphen there mm -hmm. because it's two words modifying a third. It's yeah. like a compound. And then she puts a, co a hyphen later where she should Adjective phrase. Yeah. Right. And then she gets to, additionally, I lived off-campus. And if you were saying I lived in off-campus housing, then the off-campus would be mod modifying the housing. And so you would want the hyphen between off and campus there. But here she's just saying I lived off campus, which doesn't want a hyphen. Mm -hmm. And earlier with the harsh seeming criticism, she should have had the hyphen between harsh and seeming there. Am I explaining why? I like, I think it was either you, no, it was probably Abigail who like explained to me that, but I feel like I have learned that now. And so now I notice when people do it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Did I explain it properly? I mean, it's correct. if there's two words, that are like modifying. compound mm -hmm. modifying the next thing, then you need yep. the hyphen. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay. And then you could go even further, right? You could say, okay, well, if you're going to say harsh seeming criticism, then you need a hyphen there. But is even that the best phrase? Like just say it's harsh criticism. Why, why does it need to be harsh seeming criticism? It either is harsh or isn't. 
uh, take it. Like so many words can be taken out of this statement. Can we uh, just like sort of skim here? Cause I'd be done with this one. I'd, I'd be like, all right, eh, that's Ivy. Not okay. to say that I would be like, you're dismissed, but I would be looking, I'd be looking for something else. Yeah. You're, you're selling too hard. You're protesting too much. It's draining and be like, okay, next, where's the kick-ass yeah. next personal statement? But she goes on to say things like during my junior year of undergraduate, I was promoted from my position as technical support assistant and then comma. I don't know why there's a comma there to part-time help desk manager. Um, all right. That's an origin story again. I navigated my class schedule from full-time to part-time. That's odd because there's a hyphen with full-time and not with part-time. To take this position and did so keeping myself on track to graduate at the same time. I don't know. I, you, is there anything in particular you want to focus on? I hate that use of navigated. I navigated my class schedule from full-time to part-time. You mean? Yeah, I wasn't even like following what that meant. You changed your schedule to part-time. Like, part -time. You like I, that you ain't, move. that does not justify the fancy navigated. Um, I don't know. I see a couple other things here that I really don't like. The beginning of the third paragraph, I thrived and thrive on high work tight which high work i don't even understand but anyway she's telling us that she thrives again and it's like all right you're gonna make me grab your fucking transcript and if it doesn't say 4.0 i'm gonna be like really no you don't um yeah and the next paragraph says i am a hard worker Right. I, I don't want these conclusions. No. So, well, yeah, I, I, I agree. You got to pick a story and you got to tell me one story. She brings in her toddler in the middle of that second paragraph, managing a household and a toddler, parentheses, a feat that matches stage managing any day. And we already know that stage managing is even harder than wedding planning. So toddlers must be really hard. <laughs> I don't know. Like, where, where are you going with all this? Like, why are you just yeah, throwing what, in every you... random idea? I pick a story. Yep. Tell me a story. Whoa. Our university became fully remote in March. A month into my position, I facilitated converting each and every faculty member to a laptop and walked them through working remotely. Single-handedly, mm -hmm. huh? <laughs> and you facilitated converting them to a laptop. Each and every faculty member. I don't know. I don't believe you. I, I just don't. Yeah. I don't believe you. Do you believe her? Nope. No, I can't. I, I, I'm sure you did a great job. I bet you, I bet you converted a lot of them. I bet you did the bulk of that work, but I know you didn't. I, I bet that's I why she said facilitated. That's a, That's her. Her subtle softening way of saying, it. Well, like, well, I didn't we do gave a laptop to every faculty member. I facilitated I, that. Yeah, I called people and told them to pick them up. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, also, the each and every. That's like just tell, that's like overselling it, like just doubling down. You could have just said, I helped convert our faculty to the online remote work. That'd be great. <laughs> like yeah. you're getting so specific again that it's like we're we're forced to try to catch you in your lies when you are so specific with things that are just probably not even humanly possible. Uh, last okay. paragraph. You don't want to let this statement go. Do well, you? I just I want to I'm help like, Ivy. Ow, I, ow, ow. I I do think that Ivy. Once Ivy picks a story and calms down and takes a deep breath. Yeah. Oh my God. I am a passionate person. She says in the middle of the fourth paragraph. <laughs> and that's while she's telling me about some weird volunteer thing. It's like, I, I, boy, you're, you're all over the place. And, and in the final paragraph, check this out. I firmly believe, don't care. Don't care what you firmly believe. I care what you've done. So stop talking about your mental states. But I firmly believe that my most valuable quality as a person is my passion for diving into things with an intensity that makes my peers call me, quote, weird, funny, but intense. <laughs> Oh, so let's admit the weird, funny, but intense girl. No one says that. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? What? I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it is just abundantly clear that people have no idea what law school is. Like they, they do not know what they're getting themselves into. Not even close. <laughs> like you can be a weird, funny, but intense lawyer on TV. Law schools, they're not looking for that. They're looking for people who are going to go kick ass in big law and donate millions of dollars back to the school. Yeah. That's just not what that's, that's not, they're not looking for, they're not looking for weird. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. We're funny. The vast majority of lawyers funny. do very boring work inside the system. Like that's what successful lawyers want to do. not weird, funny, intense, intense, maybe, but intense in like focused you're, you're, she's telling me her, her most valuable quality is her passion for diving into things with an intensity, but she's told me about eight different things that she's dived into. How can you be intense at so many? You can't be that good at all of those things. You it's like, I don't know. I think your reader is going to go, oh boy, here's another one of these real scattered kids all over the place. Can't pick a story. You're just not advocating very well. Like if you want me to come away from this thinking that you're scatterbrained, that's the, that's the picture you're painting here. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's what we're looking for. Yeah, we got to move on, but I'm going to say this next sentence. I care about things, things. <laughs> you care about things greatly? Like what? And I funnel my tendency towards the dramatic oh, God. into levels of work that speak for themselves. 
Um, why are you telling me about it? Yeah, just present those <laughs> yeah, facts like, and let them speak for themselves. Right, show me the results. If the results speak for themselves, then let the results speak for themselves. Don't tell me that the results speak for themselves. Also, yeah, again, do you think that law schools are looking for drama? You just described yourself. You just told me that you have a tendency toward the dramatic. Yep. That is not what I want. I want easy. No. I want I want compliant. I want compliant. <laughs> what is a worker bee? A worker bee is not dramatic. A worker bee gets shit done and says nothing back. <laughs> yeah. I um I okay. want to go back to Ivy's PS that she okay. she wrote in and said, "I don't I didn't think about this when I was writing, but I didn't mention that I have Tourette's. Do you think it's worth adding something like, by the way, I did all this ass kicking while mitigating a tick disorder, or do you think that's kind of a cop out? Like, is it better to just rest on whatever other laurels I have and not bring it up, or is it worth the possible brownie point?" Look, you got to get laurels in the first place. <laughs> we got to get laurels on the page that are going to back you up. You don't need to then add on <laughs> this physical challenge. Yeah. What laurels? Cause you're not doing a good job of actually showing me those laurels. Yeah. And once I have the laurels, I don't care anymore about the obstacles you've overcome. And if you throw in literally Tourette's, <laughs> I'm just going to like, you know, that's, a, I guess, a medical condition, and I'm not allowed to discriminate against you for that. But if you tell me that you have Tourette's, I'm going to go, oh, man, is she going to be, like, yelling, fuck shit, ass, in class? Like, is that is that what she's going to be doing? You just... <laughs> yeah, they can't discriminate on that, but it doesn't mean they won't. And it doesn't mean that they won't have some sort of hesitation about it. They're like, uh, wait, what? And they wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't be like, oh, by the way, we were concerned about your Tourette's, so we denied you. That would just put them in a bunch of shit. But they would just deny you. That's why they say uh, we have a holistic process that considers the entire applicant, yada, 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 so that they can admit and deny people willy-nilly as they see fit. It is not a point in your favor. Nope. Neither is your toddler, by the way. Neither is your the fact that your friends call you weird or your tendency toward the dramatic. None of these things are points in your favor. I look, I would like to be friends with Ivy, I think, but I would not any of these things might make Ivy an interesting friend, but they're that's not what we're looking for in a law school application. None of those things. Okay. Thanks for writing in, Ivy. Thank you, and Ivy. I think we've fulfilled your wish to, quote, absolutely ruin it. That's what you asked for. We did it. And we gave it to you. But, yeah, hopefully you can start over. The next one is from JB. Uh, I guess this is an email introduction. Yeah, and if you want to skip it all, I mean, or? I just think, like, I, the one thing that might be worth worth knowing here is that yeah. this is a pharmacist who has a doctorate in pharmacy and who is looking for Harvard Stanford type of things. Okay. Uh, 3.14 LSAC GPA though. Wait, what was the GPA? 3.41. 3.41. But it's, that's like a GPA from a, from a farm D. 
Oh, straight matriculated into a six-year farm D program from high school. So no bachelor's, just a farm D. Hmm. Okay. And a 3.41 GPA, which my guess is that's like probably good in a technical field. Okay. I think the reader would know all that. Yes. And the official LSAT on record is a 163, but the practice test scores are one high 160s, low 170s. So for the sake of argument, this let's assume this applicant has a 170 with a 3.41 at a highly technical And score. I, I got to tell you, J, JP... Um, JB, wait, JP, JB, JP, yeah. my bad. JP, okay, yeah, um, JP. Mm-hmm. JP, you really need, the best thing you can do is get a 170-something LSAT. Because if you get a 170-something yeah. LSAT, people are going to immediately make all kinds of positive inferences about you. Like they're going to go, oh, look, 3.4 is not great, but that's because it was a farm D and look, he's got a 173 or whatever it is. They're going to just immediately give you credit for, they're going to not judge you as much for the meteor mediocre grades. If you show them the LSAT that really justifies, you know, the horsepower aspect. You know, what's so strange about these personal statements as we run through them um, is that I, I don't know. But just based on looking at them without doing any reading, Alan's personal statement started with this oddly formatted quote at the very beginning, which gave me the willies. <laughs> then we have Ivy's personal statement that, I mean, it doesn't, it has paragraph breaks, which are nice, but it has these times, like a bunch of times listed in the second sentence, yep. right? And so right away, I'm like, what? Why, why are you giving me times? Like, it doesn't seem like prose. Yep. And so, and again, you have double space after the period. So right off the bat with Alan's personal statement, I was hesitant. Right off the bat with Ivy's personal statement, I was hesitant. I'm looking at JP's personal statement right now. It looks, without digging into any of the details, it looks more <laughs> professionally formatted. And so I'm, I will see, but makes me wonder if, we're already picking up on whether the statement's going to succeed or not. Yeah, I I would though. I think I would prefer some longer paragraph or some uh, shorter paragraphs. Yes, there are some lo- there are some long ones here. Thankfully, the first one and the last one are a little bit shorter. But I agree. There's just no like reason shorter. not to divide up the the second, third, and fourth paragraph. I bet could all be cut in half. All you got to sure. do is hit the carriage return a couple times, and it, all of a yep. sudden it's just like the reader can breathe it's lighter. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, I'll read it. Okay. After graduation, the first pharmacy I worked in as a licensed practitioner. Probably lose that part, right? You're going to tell us Mm. a story. You don't need to put as a licensed practitioner as part of that story. Yep. After graduation, the first pharmacy I worked in was situated in a blue collar neighborhood of Newark, New Jersey. The subject of that sentence is the first pharmacy I worked in. Yeah. What about it? Well, it was situated in a blue collar neighborhood. Hmm. Why is that the most important fact about your law school application? Anyway. I mean, it does provide some information about JP, right? At least I'm seeing 
him working there, even though the subject wasn't I. I just don't know why it's not so, I. It certainly could uh, be better, but at least yeah. at least I'm I'm seeing him doing some work, and this work. Okay, so that image is in my head at least. All right, I can't wait to see if you have patience for this sentence. Moving westward from the ritzy Manhattan skyscrapers, comma, as if along a perfectly gradated decrescendo of wealth, uh? the landscape morphs from quaint Hoboken high-rises to the dilapidated Newark. Why are you shitting on okay. Newark so much? Yeah, this is completely unnecessary. Like what? We already got, you said blue collar. That was more than enough. Yeah. And now and you're just like insulting. I, you know, I have no idea whether I'm correct, but I'm inferring rich guy prefers the ritzy Manhattan skyscrapers. Oh, but he's commuting everywhere every day into the down and dirty streets of newark why and i mean nobody likes newark everybody knows that newark's a piece of shit but still like what's that have to do with your application to law school this is not good no (laughs) this is very bad also perfectly gradated i don't even know that gradated is a word g-r-a oh maybe graduated is what he meant to say yeah uh, I don't think that's a word. Also, a decrescendo. <laughs> Why? What's this, this need would be to a, like write? It, a decrescendo wouldn't be graduated. A decrescendo would be a fade out, a smooth curve, not graduated. Mm-hmm. Graduated is like distinct, right? Like discrete. Yeah. Yep. Like a chart. So which one is it? Is it graduated or is it a decrescendo? Also, shut the fuck up. Why are you telling me this? All right. It's so weird. It's like, oh, and therefore we should admit you? Think about what reaction these people are going to have after every sentence they read. Does the sentence provide a fact about you that puts your best foot forward and makes them closer to accepting you? This does not absolutely. The first sentence did something slightly for me. The second sentence is actually moving in the opposite direction. I don't know why you're talking about this. It's poorly written. Um, and it raises a bunch of questions like, are you rich? And you're just shitting on these towns. Yes. Why? Like sure it's just it inviting like. all. So you made a small, a small step forward and then you just toppled backwards. And I'm like, peace. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, it like you're, you're trying to be artsy with this painting, this picture of what it looks like to leave Manhattan and go into Newark. But I don't need that picture because I'm here to learn about you. And the only facts I've gotten in two sentences is that you're a, you worked in a pharmacy in Newark and I'm not, yeah, it's like, I want to be on your side, but if you waste my time, then I just, I get critical. I'm going to get critical. And something like a perfectly graduated decrescendo is going to, I'm going to get pissed because it's like, ah, oh, look at this fucking guy. I thinks he's all fancy, but he's saying things that literally don't make sense. Like he, that's a contradiction. 
And why is he? Why did he even say perfectly? Like, <laughs> oh, as opposed to a mildly imperfect word diarrhea. It's just like barfing out of. He's like trying to be artistic. Stop. Stop it. Yeah. The community I served was Hispanic, comma, with roughly half of my day in Spanish. <laughs> with half of my day in Spanish? That doesn't even make sense. I get what he's trying to say, but it doesn't. That's a terrible <laughs> sentence. I mean, again, the community I served was Hispanic. So the subject of the sentence, or at least the first half of the sentence, is the community I served what about mm -hmm. them? They were Hispanic. Okay. And then comma, with roughly half of my day in Spanish, that's just a broken sentence. I mean, it's just not a sentence. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's not a sentence. Okay, I get it. You spoke Spanish half yeah, the day, but that's not how you say If you just fucking say, say <laughs> I spoke Spanish half of the, roughly, I spoke Spanish roughly half of the day. Yeah. Just say that. Almost all my patient interactions involved an awkward colloquial dance between us deciding if it was easier to speak in English, Spanish, or a combination of both. That's overselling so fucking hard. Awkward colloquial dance. Whatever. I get it. You don't know if you should go with the English or the Spanish. Who cares? I... <laughs> Ben's looking okay. up colloquial. Well, it does like, seem wrong. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that that's correct. An everyday, because the definition I'm seeing is everyday language. So an awkward everyday language dance. Maybe I'm looking that but up. But he already said almost all my patient interactions, which would imply every day. Yeah. I also well, just like, don't know why this is important. Like you're bilingual. Got it. What else it's like you people got? are afraid to just say that they're like, oh, I can speak two languages. So instead, they have to do this awkward dance where they <laughs> give us these little hints and we're supposed to like infer from it. Oh, I get it. You speak two languages. You're smart. I was going to give you. I mean, I would. I would give so much credit for being bilingual. That's not nothing. That's actually yeah. really important. If you're bilingual, you can go ahead and put that in your personal statement or feature it on your resume like you should give them you that's a major feather in your cap but if you're gonna have to do two sentences worth of this like just the fact would have spoken for itself and instead you're just so heavy-handed with it anyway it was there in that rowdy realm of retail where I learned I would best serve my patients by proxy rather than by presence. Wow. That's some alliteration there, Ben. Yeah, it is. That's double alliteration in the same sentence. We have rowdy, rowdy realm of retail, realm. which already yep. made me want to vomit. And then yep. we have also serve my patients by proxy rather than by presence. Let me ask you this. What the fuck does that mean, Ben? <laughs> I don't Do you have know. any idea what that possibly means? What does it I mean, mean to I serve guess. your patients by proxy rather than by presence? Yes, I cannot wait to hear your guess. What is your guess? This is my guess. Yes. This is my guess. Okay. So 
Right now, he's serving them by presence because he's there in the rowdy realm of retail, right? He's present with them. Oh. But no, no. He's not going to serve them in the rowdy realm of retail. No, he's going to leave. He's actually going to go away from the community and do them good from some ivy tower or some right. far off land. He deigned like, to make the <laughs> perilous journey from the Manhattan skyscrapers down into the dirty streets of Newark. But he quickly realized that that was not the place for him. And he yep. needs to go <laughs> to the, back to the ivory tower. But he's going to serve his patients by leaving. <laughs> right. I learned. I And it's also, again, a reference to one's own mental state, which is just stop it. I learned that I would best serve my patients by proxy rather than by presence. And I can just imagine someone who's actually from that community being like, fuck you. No, you can't. What? You're going to serve us better from the skyscraper in Manhattan than from actually coming into our neighborhood? Where's JP? Oh, he left. He's <laughs> he left so back he in serve Manhattan. Us helping you. <laughs> Sounds like a politician. I'm going to do what's best for you. Vote for me. You know, I want to make something clear. I do not think that JP is actually a douche. <laughs> but this statement makes JP look like a major douche. That's why we read these without reading a lot of context, right? We don't. The emails tend to be more plain spoken. <laughs> yeah. I want to like you and you're not letting me. You're just you're forcing me to just hate you. I don't know. I... <laughs> What do we have in this first in this first in the first paragraph? We nothing have a good. bunch of there's flowery... nothing good. Well, except he had a job that required some skill, right? Obviously, you're a pharmacist and you you were bilingual, so that's good. But it's overshadowed, severely overshadowed by all this this class distinction. I'm actually leaving. I'm out of here. I I mean I don't. It's just it's not a strong step forward in any direction i even though i'm like a middle-aged white guy who i i've i'm, I'm very fortunate <laughs> at this stage of my life i identify with poor people a lot more than i identify with like real rich people uh, my parents didn't go to college you know my grandparents were literally agricultural laborers and yeah. i I grew up like around a ton of Mexican dudes and I just like th that first paragraph. I just could see, I just, it seems so condescending. I don't, yeah. I don't think that that is doing what you think. I don't think that that's coming across the way you think it's coming across. Yeah. Uh, second paragraph linguistically connecting with my patients supported our mutual goal of advancing them on their path to better health. You talked to them? Nothing new there. We already knew that you were speaking Spanish. Now you're just saying 10 times in a row that you're speaking Spanish. Yep. Speaking to my patients in their mother tongue was my mother way tongue. of exercising patient care while attempting to move the needle ever so slightly towards health equality you're working there to move the needle towards health equality i don't believe it I, well i don't doubt that you're actually interested in that but you're 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 mm, well i i don't doubt that he's interested in that but this idea that i don't know like 
how about you just got a job because you wanted a job? Right. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't think you chose to work in Newark. I think that was the first job that was available and you took it. I mean, maybe we're wrong, but it's really <laughs> well, hard to tell from this. He, he left so quickly, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I knew it was best for I, me to get the hell out of here. Yeah. I, and it's just like, what else, what else do you got? Because you speaking Spanish to them is one point. You don't get that same point 10 more times. You don't, I'm not mm-hmm. giving you credit anymore for speaking Spanish. In fact, the more you say it, the more, the less credit I give you for it. Um, Latinx citizens are documented subjects of social determinants of health, semicolon. They have higher incidences and worse outcomes of almost every disease, even after confounding variables are accounted, period. That definitely needs to be accounted for or after accounting for confounding variables. Uh, I would maybe give him one of those sentences. Like, uh, he's an expert in the field. Uh, I don't really want to hear plight of the downtrodden, but if he's going to tell me about actual work that he did to try to solve this problem, I would let him give me one sentence of background, but he goes on. I would love a more clearly written sentence. Yeah. That sentence is bad. What do you mean? They are documented subjects of social determinants of health. (laughs) Semicolon. I I mean, your semicolon privileges are revoked along with everybody else's semicolon privileges. But anyway, it was unquestionable to me that the language barrier was a cause of these effects. See, that's, uh, I just feel like now you're pontificating on a subject that other people have studied. You just told us they're documented subjects. So people have taken the time to study them in a way that is presumably somewhat sound and they have question marks and you're like, oh, but I know the issue. It's language. And I'm like, really? Maybe. It's a it's a reference to his own mental state. It was unquestionable to me. <laughs> it's like yeah. I am the authority of my own brain. <laughs> no one in my brain questioned it. <laughs> yeah. Like I, <laughs> also no shit. Wait. Do you mean to tell me that the fact that some people don't speak English Makes shit harder for them. <gasps> I never thought about that. I mean, come on, dude. Like, duh. It's just. Oh, it was. Uh, that's unquestionable to you. No shit. That's unquestionable to literally everyone. I. Well, what I'm still perplexed about is, was that not one of the variables that was accounted for or not? Language barriers. My impact felt most tangible when, after hearing my Spanish abilities. Their shock turned to relief at the realization nothing would get lost in translation. Man, if you would have just said in such a plain, just in one sentence, if you would have just said, I, I used Spanish with half of my clients, I, I, I could have made all these inferences myself. And now you're just like, 
We've got almost two paragraphs now, and the only thing I know is bilingual pharmacist. Bilingual pharmacist who has odd ideas of grandeur. That's what it delusions is the word yeah. you were looking for. Yeah, like it just, yeah, and this like very ivory tower kind of like he's he's he really wants to tell you about the the you know he was he doesn't live in Newark. He commuted to Newark. <laughs> it's like making that very clear. Uh, many portrayed the hallmark sheepish look while pondering how to communicate I'm allergic to penicillin in nothing but body language or sometimes worse, Google. And he's got the little, this is a copy paste <laughs> error, but he's got the TM next to Google. Don't do that. You don't ever need to put trademark registered, whatever. Never don't do that. But anyway, Google TM translate only to be astounded as the Korean face across from them smiles and says, Hola. <laughs> we already know you speak Spanish. We get one new fact here, which is that you're Korean. Hmm. So now it's Korean pharmacist who speaks Spanish, but you're way, way overselling the fact that you're bilingual. Um, also, you've got the period outside of the quotation mark there on hola. Also, do you really need quotation marks and italicized hola? Also, I don't speak Spanish or I do extremely poorly, but I could say hola. Yeah. So did they hear hola and were like, oh, they speak Spanish. <laughs> the pharmacist speaks Spanish. As someone who so has spent significant time in uh, Latin American countries trying poorly to speak Spanish, when I say hola, they immediately know that I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> like they immediately go, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> like they don't, yeah. they don't keep speaking Spanish when I say anything in Spanish. But anyway, immigrant parents would bring their bilingual American children to play interpreter, but were soon wowed by the child's redundancy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> their children are redundant. <laughs> I'm imagining these people putting their hands on their chest. Oh my goodness. <laughs> We also, don't need they're just you, like, you redundant children. Be gone. <laughs> In my first few weeks, these scenes played out by the hundreds. But after what? a couple months, the regulars and even newcomers, after hearing of the new bilingual pharmacist, were initiating conversations with me in my second language. Okay, so you speak Spanish already. We got it. It's like the rumor of the pharmacist who speaks Spanish is like <laughs> they're telling tales around the neighborhood and then the people are coming in to the Pied Piper. They're flocking. <laughs> and now he's leaving. <laughs> yeah, and I learned that I would best serve my patients somewhere else. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, this one is too funny. I and I, JP. I hope you understand that we're doing it out of love. Like, you 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 could do so much better than this. Is the whole point? I mean, like yeah. you're you're that's two full paragraphs. <laughs> uh, we know that you're a bilingual 
pharmacist. Korean. Yeah. Pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professional, and as word spread, my consultation window rapidly transformed into a de facto clinic. And I had to say de facto that way because de facto is in italics. <laughs> de facto. <Got> it. <laughs> it just invites that, <laughs> that tone. Um, I don't think you need the italics. It's Latin, but it's also English, and you don't need to italicize it. Um, many of my patients were undocumented, uninsured, and below the poverty line, hoping to forego an expensive the doctor's visit. Okay. They would come to the pharmacy first. Cuts, rashes, enigmatic pains, strange bowel patterns, and wounds infected with flesh-eating bacteria were all brought to my attention. Some I could help. Others had ailments I was resigned to admit were outside my area of expertise. <laughs> you sound like forlor forlorn that you can't pontificate on something that's outside your domain of expertise. I was resigned like, to admit that I was not yeah. able to cure the flesh-eating uh, bacteria. <laughs> and I said, go good to the fucking hospital. That. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You, you don't want to write this to law school. I was, I was so, I was resigned to this sphere of the world where I'm not an expert. Right. A place um, where you're literally going to have to say, I don't know all day, every day in every class. Like that's the only point of any question a professor ever asks you is to get you to eventually say, I don't know. Um, also, this sounds like, I mean, he's, he's like basically the law. He, he's, he's sad that the law is preventing him from going outside yeah. his area of expertise. It's like, um, well, I could have solved the flesh eating bacteria if it wasn't for the pesky, medical code which forced me to tell them to go to the emergency room yeah um i don't know where he's going really with that often under the self-inflicted pressure self-inflicted pressure to service all comers equally i had to make split second decisions and because of their personal financial situations was frequently forced to compromise efficacy for cost um Okay. Split second decisions. <laughs> next, next. I mean, that what almost sounds happening? like malpractice. After one patient walked home, despite my recommendation to go to the hospital because he knew he couldn't foot the bill, I realized rec reconciling my position as a provider in the United States healthcare system with the community I served would be more an act that already is broken, by the way. You didn't reconcile your position with the community you served. That's not, that's not a thing. I don't, that doesn't yeah, make you any reckon, sense. Mm, you reconciled with your, maybe your ideas. Yeah. Um, or something. Anyway, I, that would be more an exercise in resourcefulness than perfection. And even though the sentence is so long, that's why it's broken. I mean, it's just still going. And even though I was doing all I could to help my patients, sometimes there was simply nothing left in my arsenal. 
You couldn't help everybody, yeah. I don't know. Do you need any more of this? Nope. I think we'd be going deeper in the pile on all three of these. Like if, if we had those seven or 10 or 15 applications or whatever, and these ones were all on the bubble, I don't think any of them, we wouldn't be like jumping up and down to admit any of these people. Nope. If we're, if we're being honest, just like based on these stories that you're telling us, we'd be, we'd be moving on. Also JP mentioned, right. That for context, he says, I'm aiming for T20 with Stanford slash Harvard dreams. So you're on the bubble uh, by definition. Yeah, you're, you're, this statement is not going to be well received compared to the other statements at those, at those schools. I mean, you really have the best of the best writing in. So I think it's oddly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? JP's specifically is just like, I don't think this is true. I, I just, the statement makes it look like he thinks his shit doesn't stink. Like he's the savior. I don't, I read it as very condescending and it's probably just because of this opening graduated decrescendo of, you know, he's just, he's like going out of his way to tell you how many steps down he's taking on his way from Manhattan down to Newark. And the fact that he led with that then makes it look like he thinks he's the savior of these people. And I just don't think that's the tone that we really want to strike here. I mean, I, like, I, I think that what he really, what he really intends here is like, I want to show you why I want to do what I want to do. Right. The last sentence of the second to the last paragraph says a Juris Doctor degree. By the way, don't say Juris Doctor. Um, but he says a Juris Doctor degree will be invaluable in my pursuit to help terraform the landscape of American healthcare. Terraform? Wow. It's a very, very grand statement when all I know that you've done is you worked in a pharmacy in Newark for a while and spoke Spanish. I don't think that that justifies these grandiose claims. Like I would allow one sentence of like, I hope to work, you know, as an insider. I think I can do more, more good as an insider. I think I can do more good in policy than I can with my boots on the ground. And I, I would let you have one sentence like that at the very end, but I would just be much more plain spoken about the entire statement on the way there. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. You can't go wrong with being down to earth. Just tell it how it is. Stop overselling. <laughs> and I have to say the alliteration at the end of the first paragraph, if you did that by accident, that's pretty bad. But if you did it on purpose, it's even worse. Yeah, you have the wrong goal in mind. You think that to be a good writer, that's what you need to do. So you're trying to do it, where in reality, you need to do the opposite. That's a pretty common problem, though, in writing. A lot of people, especially when they go to law school, they read a lot of poorly written cases, and they think, oh, to be a good writer, I need to use big words. I need to use Latin words. 
Um, I need to write long sentences. And then they start striving for that. And it's like, actually, you need to go in the opposite direction. And yeah. once you get going in the right direction, well, you still have a lot of work to do, but at least you have the right goal in mind. I think you're right. I think he has the wrong goal. Thank you, JP. Thank you, Ivy. Um, and thank you, Alan. We do really appreciate uh, your bravery to submit to the show, and we hope that that was helpful. Yep. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing us at help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 310 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Yeah.